0: At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life.
1: Welcome back, Baptist Health Talk podcast listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Fialco. I'm a preventative cardiologist and lipidologist at Baptist Health's Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute, where I'm also chief of cardiology at Baptist Hospital and the chief population health officer at Baptist Health. You may think strokes are something only older people need to worry about, but a stroke can happen to anyone, anywhere, at any time. Stroke is the fifth leading cause of death in the United States, but stroke deaths are preventable. The most important factor in successfully treating a stroke victim is time, as we'll hear today from a panel of experts who recently joined me for an episode of Baptist Health's Resource Live program. My guests were Dr. Leo Wynn, Chief of Emergency Medicine at Baptist Hospital, Dr. Felipe de los Rios, Director of the Stroke Program at Baptist Health's Miami Neuroscience Institute, and Dr. Brian Snelling, Chief of Cerebrovascular and Endovascular Neurosurgery, and the Director of the Stroke Program at Marcus Neuroscience Institute. Let's hear what they had to say. So let's get started with the, um, um, with the dialogue and I'll, I'll turn it over to um, Brian first. Brian, big question, tell us what is a stroke and maybe get into a little bit the different kinds of strokes.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, quite simply, a stroke is a disruption of blood flow to the brain and that disruption of blood flow deprives the uh, brain cells themselves of oxygen, which can lead to um, uh, the death of those cells over time. Um, and with regards to the different types of stroke, there are really two main types of stroke. There's ischemic stroke um, where there's a blockage of blood vessels, uh, deliver blood to the brain. Um, And then the other side of that, there's what we call hemorrhagic stroke. And those are bleeds that can occur in and around the brain.
1: Is is one more common than the other between the ischemic, the block of blood flow, and then the hemorrhagic, the bleeding kind of stroke?
2: Yeah, ischemic stroke uh, is overwhelmingly more common. It makes up around five out of six types of stroke. So out of six people come to the hospital with with a stroke, about five of them will have what's called an ischemic stroke.
1: So um, the, um, the treatments are different, obviously, and the approach is different based on the kind of stroke. It's important for us as practitioners, especially if we're going to prevent strokes, to know what causes a stroke. But if someone has a stroke, is there a differentiation in the, the way the stroke affects them, whether it's a hemorrhagic or an ischemic stroke?
2: Yes, you know, uh, there, there, there certainly is. Um, ischemic strokes uh, can certainly have a, a, some specific symptoms that we'll touch on in a little more detail, I think, uh, later on. Um, and uh, hemorrhagic strokes can have a couple different kinds, and they can present a little bit differently. So there is some nuance there. Um, You know, the most important thing is, is that we'll touch on the signs and symptoms to be aware of, not only how to prevent them, but if you do recognize that you or a loved one or a friend is having symptoms of a stroke, what to look out for and and how to get the best care as quickly as possible.
1: So I appreciate that. And we will be getting into a little, uh, quite a bit about the symptoms and signs of a stroke and what to do if if you or a loved one expresses those kinds of concerns. Um, Let's switch gears a little bit to um, uh, Felipe. Um, We know that we want to um, minimize the damage of a stroke, but going back to the uh, overarching prevention, what are the risk factors or things that may make someone more likely to be at risk for a stroke? And more importantly, what can we do to decrease the risk of stroke um, um, as a population?
3: Yeah, no, that's, uh, prevention is key, uh, I think. Uh, repairing the brain is is not easy, and many times we're able to help, but you want to prevent it in the first place as much as possible, and the good news is that stroke in general is 80%, has been calculated to be about 80% preventable, so there's a lot of things that we can do to to prevent a stroke. The other 20%, uh, there's some genetics involved, environmental factors, there's things that, that, we, that are out of our control, but Most of it, we we can help and and ourselves reduce our own risk of having stroke. And some of these things are are common uh, to uh, coronary uh, cardiac disease, things like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, lack of exercise, having a healthy weight, checking for and treating diabetes, avoiding tobacco, um, vaping or otherwise, um, alcohol, recreational drugs. All those things can help us reduce our risk of of having an event.
1: So I think that's, that's well said. The same factors that might be in play for cardiac outcomes is the same for cerebrovascular stroke outcomes. And in fact, it's important, I think, for the listeners to know if you have these risk factors, you may have a stroke or a heart attack. You can't say you're going to have one or the other. So it's the same prevention type of strategies um, to, uh, to decrease the uh, occurrence of these.
3: Uh, yeah, and especially in midlife. Um, Jonathan, you know, because many, many, um, especially young adults uh, feel like everything's going for them. You know, they're, they're at no risk or feel like they have no risk themselves at that point in time of having diseases like these. But the truth is, if you care for your arteries in midlife, starting in midlife, then you're going to be well set for older age uh, without these complications. So it's good to start early and going to get your routine checks through your primary and making sure you don't have these risk factors. And if you do that, you control for them.
1: I, um, I often tell my patients, you know, when you're in your 20s and 30s, you're gonna live from forever. In the 40s, you start paying attention. In your 50s, you say, well, why didn't I do that when I was in my 30s and 40s? So, so start early and you can actually lay a good foundation for um, better health as you get older. Um, Leo, going back to now the 800 pound gorilla, what would be warning signs of a stroke? Because we do wanna get into the concept of getting people uh, uh, treated, uh, recognized and treated as quickly as possible. And then what would be the more definitive signs
0: Uh, of a stroke? Yeah so we see stroke uh, presenting in the ED very very often and and early detection is key obviously. So uh, sometimes the uh, symptoms are very obvious it's either numbness or weakness on one side of the body. Um, It could be visual loss uh, either one eye or both eyes is is, uh, important. Um, Speech problems, trouble speaking or slurred speech um, it also could be more, more vague symptoms, something like dizziness or sudden onset of confusion, um, trouble walking, uh, things as such. Um, and those, those um, go for both the ischemic um, and hemorrhagic stroke that uh, Brian alluded to earlier. Um, the, 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 the slight difference in hemorrhagic stroke many times it's accompanied by a headache. So a lot of times you have a preceding headache and then uh, neurological deficits, um, and uh, heading during the, the onset of symptoms. So uh, it's a, wi- a wide range of, of symptoms. Um, I think the key is a sudden change. If you see a sudden change, uh, I think we all have to pay attention.
1: Felipe, at one of our previous um, um, resource sessions, had mentioned that, uh, especially with a stroke in particular, you lose something, you lose a function, you lose uh, the ability to move or sense something, things like that. Um, in the interest of not scaring people in a sense most headaches are not hemorrhagic strokes most little weakness you might feel could be a numbness and a nerve or something like that um but on the other hand we don't want people to ignore these symptoms can you give any guidance about when you should activate a, a more serious evaluation for these symptoms is there any any perception that you can give to people that uh, might say hey you know this is serious call 9 or can you explain it with something else it's kind of a loaded question but uh, i want to make sure we don't Make everyone think every time they have a symptom, it's a stroke.
3: Leo. John, are you asking that for, for me sorry, or for that's, Leo? That's, that's <laughs> a ball to
1: Leo? My bad, guys. <laughs> that's all right. That's okay.
0: Oh, for me. Um, well, to me, to me, I think I think uh, early evaluation is, is critical um, because I think the mistake is is um, trying to see if it goes away, and um, you know sometimes you do that and you lose time, and losing time, you're you're losing uh, essentially neurons. So. Um, I think the early thing is getting an early uh, evaluation if you're unsure. So the common mistake is, uh, let's see if it goes away and then they come in uh, several hours later and and time is lost.
3: Fair, fair enough. I Uh, will add just two things to that, Jonathan, if if I could, um, to what Leo had said. uh, One of them is headache plus something else. So you have headache plus weakness, numbness, You know something else that's, that's a, a very you know, concerning red flag. And then the other one is what we call worst headache of life. So if, if it's a headache that is the, the worst headache you can possibly imagine, almost unbearable, then you have to go to the emergency room right away.
1: Um, and I can echo that. I remember I was 11 years old walking up, um, coming home from a breakfast with my father and he stumbled and had the worst headache of his life and had a cerebral artery aneurysm which ruptured survived, it was a complicated course, but that's exactly just suddenly this most incredible headache. So certainly pay attention to that and um, get checked out right away. Um, And we'll talk about how to do that as well. Um, Brian, switch gears again, a little bit for a second. Um, uh, We talked about risk factors and of course, Mm -hmm. what's, 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 you know, these are risk factors for cardiovascular disease, stroke, heart attack, cancers, various other things like we talked about. Um, But something that's really coming under uh, great scrutiny is, is stress certainly in the COVID environment and with our, our current societal stresses. And we know that depression, anxiety, and other you know, behavioral aspects can increase the risk of, of stress. Can you talk a little bit about that interaction between stress, depression, anxiety, um, um, and stroke, and of course, the importance of recognizing and managing those stresses?
2: Yeah, certainly, um, you know, those are sort of a newer category of things that, we, that are not classically associated with, um, with the risk of stroke, but there's mounting evidence that um, stress and certainly that would be like work-related stress uh, does have some association with, with developing stroke in adults. And there's certain studies that have come out that have shown that association. So while the evidence may not be as strong as it is for other things, the other risk factors that were mentioned, um, we're starting to see that association and, and know that that's something that if it can be modified, um, that, that it should be modified.
1: So, so similar to other risk factors, it means pay attention to these things, recognize it in yourself, and look for resources or ways of mitigating those risks increase these risks, which is, uh, which which is, which is well said. Um, Felipe, again, we've, we've intersected multiple times over the past year. Um, And let's talk specifically about COVID-19. I mean, COVID-19, I remember a year ago, um, we were seeing cardiovascular concerns, cerebrovascular concerns, strokes. What have we learned over the past year regarding the interaction between COVID-19 illnesses and, and strokes?
3: Yes, now we have more data um, and there, there is different sources. The AHA, the American Heart Association has a COVID-19 registry. Um, and then some data was presented in the stroke conference this year. And the, the good news is that, I mean, even though it is associated COVID-19 infection is associated with, with stroke, um, the, the risk is really small. It seems like uh, about 1.4% uh, of patients that have symptomatic COVID-19 would or could experience uh, an acute ischemic stroke. So the vast majority of people don't. Um, and we do know from other infections like influenza-like illnesses, even during tract infections, that the risk of stroke does increase in general when your body is, is battling an infection. The risk might be uh, larger with COVID-19, it's a little bit uncertain, but the overwhelming majority of people do not experience this. And, and what we've seen is that those that do experience a stroke, not only can have ischemic strokes, but it can also have bleeding. So normally, um, like Brian was saying, the ischemic stroke is about 80% or so. Uh, when we talk about COVID-19, ischemic stroke is about 50% and hemorrhage is about 34, 40%. So there's, there's a possibility of both events. But again, for most people, stroke is not on the radar if there's COVID-19.
1: So COVID-19 has been found to affect pretty much every organ in your body and every disease that, so in, in, in one area, one way or another, um, but stroke has become less of a concern regarding the acute COVID um, uh, issues um, over time. Okay. Um, can you speak a little bit about there was a, one of the vaccines had a slight incidence of reporting of a, a certain kind of blood clotting and the, sens- the cerebral venous sinus thrombosis. Can you just elaborate on that a little bit, what that is? And is it something that we should really be concerned about when we look at our probabilities of side effects of the vaccines?
3: Yeah, I think it's good to put things in perspective and understand the difference of stroke and this this sinus vein thrombosis. So stroke uh, our clots are clots or blockages on the arterial side, the arterial side. And when we're talking about these veins, uh clots on the veins, it's on the drainage part of, of the brain. The, especially when we talk about sinus, sinus vein thrombosis, also on the uh, veins as the blood leaves the brain. And um, the risk has been, has been found to be very, very small. Um, so this has been noticed with the Johnson and Johnson and also the AstraZeneca. Um, it's about one uh, per million, uh, maybe a little bit uh, more than that, but extremely rare event. At baseline, generally in the population, this, this, this happens, sinus so vein thrombosis can happen. And the the baseline frequency is about one per million, so it's very very close. Uh, we haven't seen that with the uh, Moderna or Pfizer vaccines, um, so there might be something specifically to the other two. Uh, but just just to put it in perspective, oral contraceptives, for example, have been shown to increase the risk of of thrombosis as well and sinus vein thrombosis too. And the risk with that is about. the odds ratios are likely of having a vein thrombosis with oral contraceptives is about eight times your normal ratio. So it might even be bigger, your risk with oral contraceptives than with um, these vaccines. And we still obviously recommend those uh, as a contraception method. Um, uh, Additionally, um, I would say that there's treatment for uh, uh, this conditions. There's, There's specific things that you can do to treat sinus vein thrombosis when it happens. And the risk of having sinus vein thrombosis from COVID-19, which there's also risk from the infection itself, seems to be 10 times higher than the risk of getting thrombosis from the vaccine itself. So you're preventing uh, having this complication from uh, 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 the infection by using the vaccine.
1: So I think that's um, a great way to explain probabilities. We tend to be afraid of things that are less likely and not recognize the benefits. Of what something like the vaccine may be, but the reality is none of us are recommending to avoid uh, a COVID vaccine because of the risk of the central venous uh, um, sinus thrombosis. Exactly. I appreciate that. Uh, Leo, um, lots of movement and it's been accelerated in the COVID environment towards uh, using technology, tools at home, monitoring uh, apps, um, virtual care. Can you speak a little bit about what your experiences are and where do you think things are, are going regarding stroke assessment and prevention opportunities and, and, and access with uh, using uh, technological tools that we have available now?
0: Yes, um, so so we use technology from the entire, entire range of stroke care. So even from, from the patient side, um, with the wearables and the watches, um, I've seen several patients that have come in with um, an irregular heartbeat from the Apple watch and, and ends up being atrial fibrillation and atrial fibrillation is an irregularity of, of, the, of the heart and it's a, a, a strong risk factor for um, stroke. So I think that's important. Um, additionally, access to care, we talked about um, the early warning signs and sometimes patients are unsure. So to leverage the technology and use um, telemedicine, which is, has, has um, you know, increase in usage with COVID-19, I do not think it's uh, a wrong thing. I think it's a good thing actually. So as long as the patients have access to care and using um, technology is great, And all the way to uh, arriving to the hospital and diagnostic and therapeutic modalities that um, Felipe and uh, myself and Brian use on a daily basis. Um, It's always, always evolving. And uh, our goal really is to diagnose quickly as well as uh, treat, uh, treat quickly as well.
1: I mean, down the road, we'll have sensors in people's houses. We'll be able to manage, we'll be able to pick up variations in temperature and heart rate and respiratory rate sometimes before people even feel something. So that's kind of uh, interesting to see where that's going, but, uh, I appreciate that access is important. People 24/7 can get someone on the phone. Baptist Karen demands an example to assess their symptoms if they're not sure. The wearables picking up arrhythmias can can determine people who might be at risk. An embolic stroke is a blood clot in the heart that travels to the brain. It's a kind of ischemic stroke, not as common as the blood vessels in the brain closing up, but these are all the types of things we can use to uh, impact those bad stroke numbers that we've seen before. Um, So again, great information. Um, Brian, now let's go back to a couple of um, uh, more cogent um, 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 uh, acute types of things for the patient. So ask you a couple of questions regarding whether these things make a difference in one's risk of stroke. Do, is there a difference do, do, between men and women, for example? Is there a gender differential in who's at risk for stroke?
2: Yeah, women are um, at an increased risk of stroke compared to men. Um, and that's both ischemic stroke. And then especially also when we look at things like subarachnoid hemorrhage or the aneurysm rupture, they're at a higher risk as well.
1: And then we also noticed birth control pills, while not to be avoided, the risk is low, but they can have a slight increased risk as well. So some of that could be there. How about race? Do we see anything different between um, uh, African-Americans, um, um, asian American uh, Asians, um, Caucasians? Are there any race-related uh, differences that we've been able to identify?
2: Yeah, certain races are at a higher risk for a stroke. Um, those would be um, African-Americans, uh, Hispanic race, uh, Asian-American, Pacific Islanders. Th- those races would be, at a higher risk of developing stroke compared to others.
1: And again, it might be genetic, it might be cultural, it might be lifestyle, but, but we're definitely seeing these trends in the different um, um, populations. It, you, it was mentioned that there are some relatively rare genetic abnormalities that can lead to strokes compared to more general lifestyle risk factors. Um, but if a family member has a stroke, a first degree family member, does it make someone else more likely to have a stroke?
2: Um, generally, yes. Um, and then even specifically, again, you know, but my, my personal bias is towards things like brain aneurysms. And it's certainly, uh, we, we know if someone has a, a family history of a brain aneurysm, um, or they have two first-degree relatives, that puts them at an increased risk. What I like to tell my patients is, is that um, family history is the poor man's genetic test, and there's a lot of multifactorial component to stroke in terms of the multiple gene interactions that may be taking place. And until There's a comprehensive uh, genetic analysis that tells us what that exactly is. The best thing we can do is just take a a really accurate
1: family history. So if one has a cerebral artery aneurysm, whether it's found incidentally and never bled or there is a bleed, what are the general recommendations? I know this is, again, personally, as I said, I know this is a, a little bit of a sensitive area, but what do we recommend the family members to do?
2: Um, generally it's two first degree relatives. So a first degree relative is a sister or brother, mother, father, or a a child. Um, and if there's two first degree relatives that have uh, a brain aneurysm or have a history of a a brain aneurysm that's bled, what we call subarachnoid hemorrhage, then they're recommended to have a screening uh, study, um, which is usually you can do that with a MRA, which is a special type of MRI, no contrast, no radiation
1: that, that looks at the blood vessels of the brain. Great. But main point is ask your doctor. Get, get checked out, um, yeah. which I think is uh, the main point. All right, let's get to some final points before we take some questions. And this is perhaps the most important uh, to all of us um, having to do with what one should do if they or a loved one has stroke symptoms and why it's so important to act quickly. So Felipe, um, someone's having a stroke, the symptoms we talked about, uh, worst headache of their life, transient difficulty of speech, weakness of an arm, et cetera. What, what should one do?
3: Yeah, if there's any suspicion that someone is having a, a stroke and that person might not be aware, so you rely on what others uh, might see. So it's good for everyone to know what the uh, signs or symptoms of stroke are. But if there is a suspicion, you really want to call 911 and uh, not just drive to the closest emergency room because not all emergency rooms are equipped to treat acute ischemic stroke patients. So there's actually certifications. Um, and you can, the uh, hospital and emergency room can get certified as different degrees of, a, of stroke expertise. And if you just go to the closest emergency room, you might not be going to the right place. So, calling 911 is, is the way to go. And that pre alerts the hospital staff of what's happening. And then we're able to give treatment, be that a medication that destroys the clots or uh, endovascular neurosurgery. Uh, and try to preserve as much brain as we can, but literally minutes count. The the more we delay, the less probability of a great functional recovery.
1: So 911, don't get in the car. Do you find um, most times the person experiencing the stroke is aware of it or are there circumstances where family members may see it or notice it and the person may not either be aware of it or, or not thinking uh, it could be a stroke?
3: Both both, we see both. Uh, I would say probably about equally. I don't know what uh, Brian and Leo's experience has been, but uh, there's cases even where neurologists have a stroke and they don't realize that they're having a, a stroke because it's not that they don't know what the signs or symptoms are, but the area of the brain that's being affected prevents them from realizing that they're having the, those those problems. Um, so I, I see a, I see about equally, uh, where family members bring and say, hey, no, something's off, you know, this is not right. And the patient is not really aware that they're speaking slurred or or having problems with balance. Um, and others where the patient themselves pick, pick up the symptoms and they call nine one one.
1: Brian, to that end, do you ever see patients who are kind of were reluctant to get taken care of, call nine one one? Family members unfortunately helps and saves them.
2: Absolutely. You know, I um Calling 911, calling EMS at any at any of the signs we previously mentioned is is of the utmost importance. Um, only a minority of the types of stroke actually are accompanied with a headache, or, so most of them are painless. And what I usually try to inform you know patients is is that unlike a heart attack, there's really no impending sense of doom with a stroke. It's a like Felipe said, it's a loss of something. It's a loss of function, and a lot of people, whether they don't recognize it or they just try to ignore it and think it'll get better on its own and just, just to clue people into the, to the signs and symptoms of stroke and let them know that it, most of them are painless, it's a painless loss of function and that they shouldn't try to get to the hospital, they should call 911. Um, and another reason to call 911 that I think is a great one is, you know, as a health system, we're equipped as hospitals to receive patients uh, that are coming in with stroke symptoms. So if you're picked up in the field by EMS, they can call ahead and let us know as opposed to driving in. So when time is critical and time is brain and those minutes count, you're shaving time off of, uh, off of uh, your treatment by calling EMS because they'll let us know and we'll be, we'll be able to meet you at the door.
1: So uh, again, a great point. And, and that uh, leads right into a uh, question to Leo. Um, uh, from an ER standpoint, not infrequently, you know a person's coming and on their way with a stroke which allows you to be prepared. So speak a little bit, Leo, about this, this final most important point. We say time is brain, why that? those, those moments, those minutes can actually be critical in getting assessed and, and treated.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so just the, the points that Brian and Felipe brought up, uh, I think are critical. I mean, um, the family paying attention uh, to understanding uh, something has changed and reacting is critical because if there's a delay, um, just a look just a deep dive into the numbers are, are pretty staggering. Um, every minute, 1.9 million neurons die uh, during a stroke. Um, billions of synopses, which are the connections between neurons, are lost, and they're lost forever. Um, and lastly, um, which is an interesting fact that, that I've learned, is um, for every hour that's delayed, it's it's equivalent to about four years of, of normal uh, aging of the brain. So uh, the important thing is, and, and we've seen it numerous times, as a family really saving a life of. Being on the phone with our loved one and, and kind of hearing a, a little subtle difference in their voice, and, uh, and reacting and, and, and that immediate reaction is critical to, to save to save um, the patient's life.
1: To our listeners, if you have any comments or suggestions for future topics, please email us at Baptist Health Talk at Baptist That's Baptist Health Talk at Baptist We'd love to hear from you. Before you go, please take a moment to subscribe and give the podcast a five-star rating on whichever platform you listen to us on. Until next time, stay safe and mask up.
0: Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.